WBEZ is supported by Chicago Humanities, presenting live events with historians Doris Kearns Goodwin and John Meacham, comedian Reggie Watts, and filmmaker Miranda July, and artists Hebrew Brantley and Amanda Williams in conversation. Plus, MSNBC chief correspondent Ali Velshi on small yet powerful acts of courage throughout history. Tickets for these events and more conversations on arts, culture, and current affairs at chicagohumanities.org. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Saturday will mark one year since the Dobbs versus Jackson decision, which overturned the federal right to an abortion. Between now and last summer, it's been a constant whirlwind of abortion bans from states across the country and activists in the streets marching in protest. Caught in the middle of the struggle, of course, are women and people who can become pregnant. Recent restrictions on abortion often do make exceptions if the mother's life is in medical danger. But advocates argue the language in these laws is vague and murky and is leading to unintended consequences that cause serious harm to mothers. So today on the show, we're going to dive into these laws and find out what needs to change to better protect them. Here to help us do that is Dr. Sadia Haider, Interim Chair of OBGYN at Rush University Medical Center. Welcome back, doctor. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's it's crazy to think it's already been a year right. since the decision. And what I can say is that um, the decision did, you know, severely restrict abortion in many states. Mm-hmm. Um, what's important to know is that as a result of that, the confusion amongst uh, patients and providers has resulted in delays in care for very um, either life-threatening situations or situations where it wasn't clear what to do. Right. Um, and it has resulted in significant numbers of patients traveling to non-restrictive states to receive care. Yeah, you're right. There's been so much confusion. I, I want to walk through something I, I mentioned a moment ago, Dr. Heider. When we say save the life of the mother, what do we mean exactly? What kind of care does it include? Yeah, so it's it's a complicated kind of a very a bit unclear. The um, save the life of the mother in a situation where um, you know, the pregnancy is putting the, the mother's life at risk could require aborting a pregnancy. Um, and so that is what in that, you know, and is sort of one one of the scenarios that would maybe be hard to, inter, you know, discuss or clinically resolve um, what that means in in relation to the law. Does that answer your question? Yeah. yeah. Well, well, I'm curious what you've heard maybe in, in uh, from colleagues that are yeah. in states with restrictions how that works in practice. Yeah. So, you know, I'm very lucky to be in Illinois where we are able to provide full spectrum care and not have to make these decisions from colleagues that I have talked to in, say, Missouri or other states with restrictions. You know, sometimes there's ambiguity. So how bad is the cardiac condition? You know, sometimes it's incredibly clear that Mm -hmm. this cardiac condition will significantly worsen and cause the mother to have, you know, maternal mortality even or morbidity if she continued a pregnancy. Now, yeah. that requires some guidance and input from, you know, high-risk OB specialists um, and other, maybe the cardiologist. And sometimes there is um, less clarity 
However, the risk is still there to the mother. Gotcha. There are also some exceptions made when the fetus would likely not survive out of the womb. Absolutely. So there are many examples of patients that have um, had conditions where diagnosed um, antenatally that Im- are very clear that the fetus would not survive after um, delivery or very shortly after delivery would pass away. And these are known as uh, lethal fetal anomalies. Exactly, right? exactly. Lethal fetal anomalies. And even in those situations, those patients are having to travel to us in Illinois. We have taken care of a number of patients from other states who have had diagnoses such as um, lethal fetal anomalies, um, and there are several of these conditions, and they have not been able to receive the care because within the the state that, are, that their providers are practicing in, they feel that that is not allowed by the law. Mm. Okay, so let's dig more into that. At, at Rush, you're seeing patients with complicated pregnancies, right? Yes. So just explain for us sort of the range of conditions that bring folks in to receive care from you and your staff. Yeah. Um, just yesterday, I took care of a patient from Missouri, Mississippi, Tennessee. Um, the p- range of patients that we see are um, patients who have had uh, significant, as I said, fetal conditions. So mm-hmm. one had a fetus that did not have uh, appropriate neurologic development, a condition called anencephaly, where the brain does not develop. And mm-hmm. that is a condition that we know is lethal and the fetus will shortly after delivery pass away or even prior to delivery. Um, we had a patient who uh, herself had a significant um, a blood clot history and significant blood bleeding disorder. Um, and because of that, we were, they, she was not, um, you know, counseled, like wasn't offered an abortion in her own state. She went to an outside clinic first in Illinois, mm-hmm. like in southern Illinois, where they were not able to take care of her because she needed to be seen in a hospital setting. So that's the kind of complexity that ends up coming to a place like Rush. And you mentioned those those patients yesterday, all from out of state. What has that increase looked like? To In terms of volume for us? That's right. I will, um, in the last year, our volume has doubled um, in terms of, and that we are in a hospital setting. So we often get those referrals from outside clinics or outside providers and even other states. I think um, the clinics, the freestanding clinics like Planned Parenthood or other freestanding clinics even have even higher volume than that yeah. in terms of their increases. But we've seen a double in our numbers. Let's go back to what we started with here, that, that confusion. Yeah. Talk to us. What, what kind of confusion are you seeing the Dobbs decision have for providers in our state about you know what services they can and can't provide for people who live here in Illinois versus the folks coming here from out of state to, yeah. to get help? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I think, again, we are very lucky to be in Illinois. We have a very supportive governor. Um, we have a law that was passed called the Reproductive Health Act um, that ensures patients could get care. We were already doing all of that for the patients in Illinois. Then as this post-Dobbs time ensued, we real you know, we started seeing this influx. And there were real questions about are we as providers safe legally to take care of patients from other states, mm-hmm. right? They will travel here. What are the implications for the patient from a, from a legal standpoint? What are the implications for the for the provider? Um, again, those who do this a lot are able, like myself, are able to be kind of linked into resources and support to understand that better. Yeah. Um, I think some of our general providers out in community who may not have that ability to have support may be a little less, um, may be a bit more confused. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the state of Illinois has now provide um, put instituted what we are we are calling shield laws to protect providers in our state to take care of patients from other states. 
We'll talk more about that. I want to bring another voice into the conversation now, Dr. Uh, Lauren Woodham-Roth recently received life-saving medical care. This was after experiencing complications in her pregnancy. Welcome, Lauren. Hi. Thanks for having me. You just experienced an ectopic pregnancy. I'm hearing this was just a couple of weeks ago. First of all, I'm so sorry, Lauren. Thank you. I appreciate it. How are you feeling right now? I feel okay. Um, I had a ACG uh, test, which confirms the pregnancy hormone um, two weeks ago. And so that confirmed that I was no longer pregnant. So um, very sad and happy to hear that news. And um, now I'm just in a period of um, getting better physically and mentally. And um, yeah, that's kind of the space where I'm in, but okay, physically. Okay, physically. Well, well, that's really good to hear. Uh, let's talk more about what what happened Tell us about the care that you received and what the process was like, Lauren. Yeah. So my ectopic pregnancy um, was um, diagnosed at five weeks, which is really early. I'm seeing uh, a specialist for fertility, and so that's why I was um, caught and treated early. A lot of women don't have that opportunity. Most Mm -hmm. pregnancies, most people find out they're pregnant around six or eight weeks. Right. Um, So I was very fortunate that I was caught early. Um, I think what I really appreciated about my care was that you know, once it was diagnosed that it was ectopic, that it was in my fallopian tube, um, the numbers were still growing. And the doctor called and said, we just need to take care of this. So mm-hmm. at any point, there was never a discussion about, you know, we have to wait and see. It was, we we know what we're seeing and we need to take care of this now. And so I really appreciated just how fast um, the process was um, and how safe I felt that, you know, I was going to be taken care of. Um, you really don't hear about ectopic pregnancies. They're very rare. I think about 2% of pregnancies uh, tend to be ectopic. Um, and so, you know, you'd come to terms with your own mortality there. Um, so it was a very scary 24 hours um, between getting the news and then getting um, the medicine that I needed to be okay. Yeah. You went to the emergency department as part of this process? So not originally. Um, so at the beginning, I just went to my doctor's clinic. Um, I got one dose of uh, medicine called methotrexate. And um, in the next couple of weeks, I did develop some complications. I did have some pain. Okay. Um, and so I did end up going to the ER probably about three times, um, which was not fun. Um, but I had a wonderful um, EDOB team that was very knowledgeable about my case um, and knew how to treat it. Um, it ended up not being a complication with my ectopic pregnancy. My body was going through so much, um, so I was very fortunate that um, it didn't. I did not need surgery um, for this ectopic pregnancy. I see. And as you were going through this, Lauren, I mean, I'm hearing you had to contemplate traveling out of state for work. I did, and so um, shortly after I got um, the the news and I got the dosage of methotrexate, um, I had to fly to work um, for a conference um, in Georgia. And one of the conversations that we had with our physician, um, my husband and I, was, is it safe to travel um, to a state where there are these restrictions? Mm -hmm. Um, Because we'd heard stories, we'd read stories from people that are dealing with infertility, dealing with pregnancy loss, and that was a serious concern. I don't know what the quality of care is going to be like. Um, And my doctor agreed. She said, you know, I don't know. One, you probably shouldn't be traveling because you're going through this process. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you could, you know maybe it's not safe to go to a place where you're not sure what the quality of care is going to be like. Um, And that had never happened to me. I'd never had to stop and think what the quality of care is going to be like in another state. You know, if you break your arm, the quality of care is going to be the same if you're in Illinois or if you're in Georgia. And so to really have to contemplate, do I want to put my safety in danger or my health in danger um, was concerning. 
Um, I did end up going to Atlanta um, for my brother's graduation, um, but very much knowing mm -hmm. what, the what the consequences could be if I do need to get care in right. that state. Yeah, I mean, at that point, I'm, I'm imagining you were pretty thankful you were from Illinois. Yes, I'm very, yeah, very thankful every day that I'm in Illinois and that, you know, access to reproductive health is available to everybody and that, you know, we're already going, if you're going through miscarriage and ectopic pregnancy, you already have that added stress. You don't need the added stress of figuring out what are the laws in my state um, to figure it out, to figure out if I have access to care or not. I right. don't think that women need that additional burden on top of the burden that we're already going through. Um, so very thankful that there's um, laws in place that you know protect our rights to get access to care. Well, we sure appreciate you taking the time to share your experience with us. That's Lauren Woodham Roth, an Illinois resident who recently received care for an ectopic pregnancy. Take care, Lauren. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. So your thoughts there after hearing yeah, Lauren's I mean, story. Lauren is very well spoken and really knowledgeable about her experience. And yeah. really, I think that was really helpful to hear the patient perspective. And she mentioned uh, the <clears throat> rarity of ectopic pregnancies. She says around 2%. Yeah, is, we is that say accurate? approximately like 2 to 5% for general population, certain populations, slightly higher risk. Um, but I think the miscarriage is even more common, right? So these are all a spectrum of pregnancy related conditions. I think what she highlighted is the fact that if you're in Illinois and you're a patient that needs care, you know, it's very accessible and uh, the things that would um, a provider routinely do would be offered no matter what, whether it's a miscarriage, ectopic, et cetera. It's, you know, I think in the, in the situation where she was concerned about going to Georgia, you know, it's, it's a legitimate concern. I yeah. think um, even if the law does not say specifically you know, abortion is restricted, restricted, but ectopics are excluded because they're, you know, a different, that's a different scenario. I think there's confusion and there are, because of that, patients aren't necessarily getting the care that they need immediately or things, um, or even offered the care they need and then sent, you know, sent away and then they try to access care somewhere else. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's a result of the sort of confusion and chaos caused by these restrictions. How often do you have to think about that or, or consider where your patients might be traveling when you're giving them medical advice? Um, you know, it's interesting. I think with reproductive health care, especially now, we think about it more and more. So even the patients who have come to us from out of state for these procedures, we really make sure that they, you know, everything they need, we do for them here. We prescribe their medications in state, you know, so that they aren't picking up um, some of the medicines in another state, which could then be associated with their procedure. Um, we try to ensure their medical records are private so that they aren't accessible by outside medical systems. Mm -hmm. You know, we do a number of things to take into consideration, like their context and where they're from. Yeah. Yeah. There are also travel concerns for doctors, right, who, yeah, uh, who are absolutely. pregnant. And they've got to do training and get certifications in, in states that have restrictions. Yeah, yeah. It's a, you know, it's interesting. That's a kind of somewhat of a controversial topic in our field at the moment. Right, I can um, imagine. There are, you know, many of our trainees who are finishing residency and fellowship are exactly at the age of when they're, they're having their children. They're planning families. Right. Yeah. And they also are required to take various examinations. Um, and one of the exams we have to take in OB-GYN is based in Texas. Um, so there's actually quite a bit of controversial discussion happening right now that 
if I were pregnant, would I go take that exam there or do I delay the exam or do I take it mm. another time? Because what if I need an emergency procedure? What if I end up, you know, I'm 24 weeks pregnant and suddenly, you know, my unfortunately, my, you know, bag of water breaks, um, my amniotic fluid essentially is coming out and mm-hmm. it's, you know, way very premature um, in other places. You may be, you know, in Illinois, we would have potentially offered some. Uh, options and in a state like Texas, you might not be. So, not that, so you know, much. physicians yeah. knowing what they know are definitely having these conversations. Wow, talk about unintended consequences. I I would not have thought of that immediately. And we know there's a big push, uh, doctor, to restrict access to mifepristone. Right, that's the medication yep. mm-hmm. that's used for uh, abortion. How does that? then complicate care for miscarriages? Yeah, great question. Um, So mifepristone has very safely been used, um, and that's really important to know, across the world for decades, um, specifically for abortion. But also there is much scientific evidence supporting the use um, in miscarriage management. So miscarriages as well as um, induction of labor, which is later in pregnancy for Mm -hmm. fetal um, anomalies and demises and those kinds of situations. Mifepristone is a medication that is does not cause the abortion. It facilitates a process of evacuating a pregnancy. And thus, you know, not having it would really impact the standard of care for across many um, obstetrical conditions, including miscarriage. And we're talking so much about folks traveling to other states like mm-hmm. ours mm-hmm. Uh, to get care. But let's let's face it, right? Not everyone can afford to absolutely do the, the, mm-hmm. make the trip, let alone mm-hmm. take the time off work. Uh, to a state like ours where abortions are yeah. are legal. Talk about how this exacerbates the inequities. Yeah, it very much exacerbates the inequities. Um, you know, even prior to the Dobbs decision, healthcare disparities in our country are very significant. Reproductive healthcare disparities existed already among, you know, significantly among um, black and other minority populations. Um and, uh, you know, disparity based on socioeconomics. The Dobbs decision has just resulted in creating more and more barriers to access to care, right? So those patients who can afford to travel, who can figure out the logistics, who can figure out, you know, leaving their home for several days mm-hmm. will make it to another state. We already know that the numbers of um, abortions are declining in states with legislative restrictions. Right. And those are the states where, um, you know, those patients are being forced to have continued pregnancies. And this disproportionately affects patients who cannot, you know, afford the care, afford the logistical planning, you know, have the support to do it, um, and really is just going to worsen our reproductive health um, inequities. So, I mean, leave us with this, right? We talk so much about the confusion here on the patient side as well as as the uh, physician side of things. Um, for the person listening right now, going through their own complicated pregnancy, yeah. whatever that may look like. What do you want them to keep in mind or where's a good place for them to to look for resources or what should they pay attention to right now? Yeah, I think, um, you know, what patients should know is that there are a lot of people and providers and teams wanting to support them. You know, I think um, patients should know they should find a trusted provider. Um, There are many people who are really motivated to take care of these patients, right? Like, 
at Rush, we've created a you know a whole system. We have we created a whole team now that we didn't have before okay. to to facilitate this care. Many places have done so. You know, I always you know think the first place a patient can look is Planned Parenthood, right? Like Planned Parenthood websites are incredibly helpful. That's a great resource, and they will find a way to even if they can't take care of you, they will help you navigate to care where, you know, where they the patient can receive that care. There are, you know, the ACLU is a really fantastic resource for advice around legal um, concerns for a patient or provider. Thanks for that. Dr. Sadia Haider is interim chair of Russia's OBGYN department. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. We'll turn now to how mothers are currently being protected in Illinois. Here with the details is State Representative Kelly Cassidy. I want to start by asking you what's on your mind as we're almost a year from the Dobbs decision. Yeah, you know, it's it's a little weird. And, and actually, the Dobbs working group, you know, our our chat thread has really been, you know, we've talked about this a lot lately. Mm-hmm. Um, in some ways, it feels like yesterday. And in some ways, it feels like forever. Um, you know, for for me, I've really struggled with the word anniversary because that sounds too celebratory. Yeah. Um, I've kind of I've landed on yard site, uh, which is how in Judaism we mark the occasion of, of the anniversary of someone's death. So this is like Rose Yard site to me more than an anniversary of something. Um, it's 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 a lot. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is a lot. And uh, what we've been talking about so far this hour, Representative, is the confusion. Um, it's it's con- it's confusing uh, pregnancy care right now. A lot of things are, are up in the air. Just so uncertain. What's your read on it? I think that, you know, the number of people who maybe hear that there was a ban proposed but didn't go into effect, but they think they can't get an abortion. You know, the number of people who are merely um, caught up in the confusion and mayhem and chaos of how states have sought to restrict access has resulted in a lot of unintended consequences. You know, we hear the tragic stories of folks who are left to manage a miscarriage alone in very dangerous circumstances, things like that, that just, uh, it's just gutting to hear about for sure. Yeah. Do you think there's a role legislators can play in, in clearing up that confusion? Well, I mean, I think that here in Illinois, we've done, um, we've taken many steps to make sure that folks who come here from, from other states are safe, um, are protected against uh, against prosecution, that their providers are as well. So we've taken a lot of steps here to make sure that the folks that are coming here, the upwards of 30,000 inbound patients a year we're anticipating, um, that, they, that they've got as many protections in place as possible. We've got a, couple, a little bit more to do on that front. But I would also say that um, similarly situated legislators like myself in states that are, that are enacting bans are really taking on the hardest part of the fight where they are trying to make sure that there are clarifications in place so that those unintended consequences don't take effect so that people understand what their options are and what their opportunities are if they have to leave the state. So I I think that um, there's a there's a massive network of, of advocates and legislators across the country working together really trying to row in the same direction to make sure that we are addressing all of these possible harms. Yeah. You mentioned before the uh, House Dobbs Working Group, which you lead, and and you've been pushing to enshrine rights to abortion and and maternal care in this state. Why is that important to you, Representative, that that Illinois is this haven for care in the Midwest? 
Well, you know, until very recently, we we really were the we were a literal island um, because there were bands all around us, and so I was very much aware that you know we were already a destination for folks because we've got so many more conservative border neighbors. Um, but but we were very mindful that that, that these numbers were going to grow and they were going to grow quickly. Um, and so I want to make sure that what we're doing is not just you know, saying the right things, but also doing the right things. That means making sure there are enough providers, making sure that those providers are safe, making sure that when people get here, they aren't facing obstacles to to getting their care. We've, we've got a very solid foundation between the Reproductive Health Act and the Patient and Provider Protection Act, but there's certainly more mm-hmm. we can do. Um, you know, high on our to-do list right now is making sure that, that there is sufficient protections for people's digital data, um, that digital privacy is respected in this space, that we're not geofencing right. hospitals or a abortion clinic locations and selling that data. Um, and that's been a huge fight with the, you know, the folks in, in big data and in, in the, in the tech area. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're not, they're not compelled by the, the, the do the right thing and protect these patients. Yeah. There's been a lot of concern about the digital footprint of, you know, online yeah. searches for, for symptoms related to pregnancy or miscarriage or uh, people searching for location of abortion clinics uh, Absolutely. Know, being, and, and that being used against them. So it sounds like that's on your radar. Very high on our radar. And it's really the thing that we've seen utilized most so far. Um, you know, one of the one of the very first prosecutions involved intercepting Facebook messenger messages between a mother and daughter. Wow. And using that to prosecute both of them. Wow. Yeah. When we had you on the program recently to talk about the uh, the pending cases against Mifepristone, uh, that drug that's uh, used uh, to uh, treat uh, miscarriages and it's used for uh, abortions. At the time, you said to us, you said, I'm briefed every day on new wrinkles. Give us an update on, on where we're at right now. Yeah, I mean, we are we're in a bit of a holding pattern now with the with the medication abortion case as it as it you know makes its next step. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're in a relatively good place. But what's happening every day is that new cases are being filed, new bills are being passed, um, new decisions are being released. Um, and, and so there is this constant vigilance required to be aware of any possible um, impacts we might experience. Like there was a case involving the Affordable Care Act right around the same time as the, as the, the medication abortion case that kind of went on under the radar. But that same case and that, that case in that same district in Texas um, really was was designed to take out the, the, the very foundations of the Affordable Care Act um, and threatened the val- validity of some really important laws we have here in Illinois around accessing preventative care without copay. So we had to quickly pivot, get that language fixed, and, and get that in and passed to make sure that there weren't any uh, any unintended consequences on people seeking cancer screenings. Mm-hmm. You know, it, this, there, there's, there's a constant... Um, it's almost like one of those big twirling sprinklers. You know, there's always something coming out of it. Absolutely. Well, I mean, there's there's so much here. What what else are you keeping an eye on, Representative? Well, we are watching and and having conversations around states that have chosen to go with um, a, a, a constitutional amendment, looking at whether that's something that we need here in Illinois. Um, and that's, I think, where we as a working group are going to pivot um, as we move into our, our summer work period. That's Illinois State Representative Kelly Cassidy. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. A 
This episode of Reset was produced by Linnea Dominic, and it was edited by Andrew Merriweather and Dan Tucker. That's all for this episode. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.